Welcome to See the Change podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Ayala, Communications Director at Sea Change Initiative. This is a space to bring together community builders and change makers to hear the stories and inspire them to take action for social change. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe and connect with us online. I just want to take a moment to say how much this episode means to me. Deep down inside, I'm just a girl who loves lip gloss. So it truly was an honor to speak with our next guest. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to See the Change podcast. Today I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty, Jen Harper. She's an award-winning entrepreneur who has been shaking things up in the beauty industry with her commitment to sustainable innovation, authentic leadership, and community empowerment. Jen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I wanted to uh, get to know you a little bit more on your background, where you're from. Um, maybe some of our listeners, listeners aren't quite as familiar with Cheekbone Beauty, and I'd love to share your story. Sure. So I, I guess I'll start where I'm from. So we, as Indigenous people, always introduce ourselves um, by really, I, you know, saying where where we're from but also where we're currently are so I'm currently live and located in um, what is known as the Haudenosaunee or Anishinaabe uh, people the territory of of, um, those groups of people which is modern day um, the Niagara region which is about an hour south of Toronto a little bit further Um, and I am from Northwest Angle 33, so I'm a registered First Nations member of, of that reservation based in Ontario, Canada. Okay. Uh, is that where you grew up as a kid? So I grew up right here, actually, in St. Catharines, where I live today with my family. Uh, my mom is non-Indigenous. Her and my father separated when I was really little. I think I was about two, so uh, shortly thereafter. We lived in Toronto for a little bit and then um, moved and my mom took a job in St. Catharines. So we then moved here and that's where I was literally raised and lived. Uh, Moved away a couple times, once on my own to Toronto. And then um, again, when we got married with my family and then we ended up being back here, not too far after that. So we love Niagara, obviously. (laughs) And growing up, what were you like as a kid? Where did this, you know, interest and passion for cosmetic products come from? Um, Yeah. So, you know, just, I think the typical story of getting into your mom's products and makeup. So I always had this love or this real affinity for cosmetics products and palettes. You know, I still can, if I think about it, remember the scent of like the CoverGirl palette has this really distinct smell. And I remember always touching the powders and slipping them through my fingers and trying on lipsticks and whatever else I could get my, my little hands on. And I'm, as a mom, I know that that's really irritating (laughs) knowing your kids have gone through your makeup stuff, but that's where I really grew to love, I think products and and fell in love with all of them. So I'm certainly um, still obsessed to this day, obviously. (laughs) Do you remember what was maybe the first makeup product that you bought for yourself? Mm, so those it was like a lip gloss and I don't remember the brand but they the glosses were the like they were so glossy but they had that ball that you could 
possibly pop out. Sometimes you could get it out, sometimes you couldn't, but the gloss would roll around on the ball and that would roll around on your lips. Um, and I can't remember the name of the brand at all, but I love that. Like the flavors were probably ate more of it than I should have because <laughs> it smelled so good. It'd be like grape and cherry. And yeah, so that was like my one, probably one of the first makeup products I've ever bought for myself was lip gloss. Um, and I guess that uh, kind of inspired your line now. You're still into the lip gloss. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, it is interesting that the, you know, the, that dream I had way back when it was lip gloss in that dream. And it, obviously my first love in beauty has been always been lip gloss. Amazing. And growing up, or even when you were a young adult, did you think that cosmetics was going to play a part in your career? Not even for a second, which is really kind of crazy as much as I loved makeup and playing with stuff I didn't you know I didn't grow up thinking that I think anything that you love could ever possibly become a job or something that you get to do every single day so um yeah not even in the realm of it really it's really kind of crazy when when you were young you know, even myself as a young kid getting into makeup, I was really only concerned about the products and didn't really see the big picture. Um, but do you remember maybe a time in your youth where you really noticed the lack of representation of Indigenous people or women of color in the industry? No. And it's funny you should ask that because I thought about that a lot and especially since building Cheekbone Beauty. Uh, but it's really interesting how our the human brain works, right? Um, just without it being there, uh, the audacity even in my, my mind to think that we could have thought that we would even have a place there that never even came up in my mind. So, so how does that happen to us? Well, it's we're trained by society and by marketing messages, by what's happening in our homes, by what happens at school, by what hap what's happening into people in places where they make policy decisions. Um, so it's it's interesting when I look back now that you know had no idea that that was even possible or that we should have faces that represent us there. Um, but it was missing and it, it's, it really left a big blank hole in so many of our lives, not feeling like we, we, um, we had a place or uh, the ability to even belong in certain spots. So I know that that's really new for so many of us. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because I didn't see it as something that was missing back then, but I think it wasn't until I saw representation in media and in beauty that it, it kind of hit home, like, oh, wow, that actually means something. Even though growing up, I didn't really think that it had an impact on me at all. Um, and, and, you know, I've heard you also say in other interviews that growing up, you didn't have a particularly strong connection to your Indigenous community but that changed over time. And when did that start changing for you? Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting question because over the last few days after, um, there's a lot that's come to light in our community in the last few days. And I'm really challenged with this. I've been so open and honest about telling people always. And like, I am not, 
you know, a traditional indigenous person who grew up traditionally in their community with the support of their community or even their family members that also were indigenous and weren't um, accustomed to all of the practices and don't know the language. So I am, I feel like an outsider and I have for my entire life. Um, then reading all of, you know, through 2015, that's when I, I literally call it this year of like reckoning where I realized that this was designed systematically for me not to connect my, to my community. Um, and I went against every sort of um, thing that I previously believed in, in the sense that I didn't think I needed to connect to my culture, but um, healing and feeling like you don't belong anymore and feeling broken and you're trying to put pieces back together. I realized that that was a big part of that's half of who I am. Um, my mom is not indigenous, but my father is full 100% Ojibwe. Um, and really, he's really, really proud of that. Uh, but I unfortunately didn't grow up feeling that way or spend enough time with him. Um, for him to teach me that he did try I look back now and there's so many times where when I was younger he you know I I have vivid memories of being in the forest with with him and us putting uh, him having a shovel and digging things and putting you know things from our meals back in the ground as a kid I had no idea what all of that meant I do I do now know what it means to to our culture to 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 do those things but I didn't then um and that was a big thing that was missing and so when I'm reclaiming um, part of who I am, my culture, I'm very um, careful because I don't want anyone to think there's, it's interesting, you you build this business, I call it an Indigenous business, um, because I'm trying to do things in an Indigenous way, from the from from how we create products, to how we market, to how we um, build a business, you know, like in, in terms of what building a business looks like through this indigenous lens versus maybe this worldview that's other worldview that's always existed of how a business has to operate. And so bringing all these things together, you do feel like, um, I still feel displaced in so many ways. And then there's these expectations from media that I was, am like, the one who knows everything about being an Indigenous person. And that is one thing that has to be crystal clear to everyone that not one person who comes from an Indigenous background or comes from a community or does not, um, all of our stories are our own stories and they're very different yet similar. And that's what um, I think an, an, a message that has to be really, really clear to um anyone who is non-Indigenous or wanting to talk with us and engage with us and listen to our stories that um, it's, it's not all the same. We're not, um, we're not, we don't all come from the exact same mold. Like there's the a 60 scoop experience is completely different. There's then just, a, you know, a regular adoptive experience, which was not the 60 scoop, but then, you know, through the eighties and nineties, what did those adoptions mean? And where are those people? Uh, and then there's people that were just displaced. It, and, and this is my story where I was displaced from my family because of shame, shame that was created from the outside world, which I then fell into this trap of believing and and 
and as an adult realized that I have nothing to be ashamed of and I had to reteach myself to be um, very confident and proud of who I am and where I come from. But those messages were fed to me since I was a small child. So I, I, I can't blame myself forever. I was actually really angry with myself for a very long time because I allowed um, shame to like override. I wouldn't even, I would totally lie to people and not say that I was Ojibwe um, when I clearly was. Uh, just because of shame and and that's a horrible thing but that is what that outside perception stereotypes they did they made me feel ashamed of who I was and so um, now that I no longer am I'm really open about sharing my story but I just it needs to be super clear to everyone that we're individuals and we all have our own experiences and our own stories as much as they're all similar and related in ways they're 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 not coming back to that idea of shame i mean that's internalized i think amongst many different peoples around the world through colonialism and it's quite um i don't want to say amazing but it's quite eye opening when we start to analyze that and see how much of an impact that has as, on us as individuals growing up in colonial systems and the way that it affects our relationships within our families and our communities and even with within ourselves. You've been very open about your story with um, addiction and trauma. To me, I would say that the feeling of displacement from your own culture and your own community is definitely one of those um, deep-seated feelings that can lend to you know, to addictions or other traumas that come out. What was the moment of clarity where you decided you needed to rewrite that story for yourself? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Such a great question. And I would say certainly after half, I was sober for probably about like four to six months when I realized um, that this new narrative was going to be on, on me, like that I had to own it. Uh, I was in a incredible time where you can literally change your whole story. And, and that's essentially what I did. Um, not, not forgetting my past, right. Um, I always say that I'm as crazy as it sounds. I'm grateful that I lived through all of my past mistakes, right? Because um, when you uh, do, it's uh, incredible to come over that other side. So it was certainly after sobriety that I realized that I had this power and this ability, which every human being does, right? Like we, you can, it, it's, it's very simple to change your life in, in five minutes. Um, it's the, the work going forward that that's the work part, right? But it's so worth it, so worth it. Um, and I encourage anyone who's struggling with any of these things. It's like, it's just that moment to decide and change. Um, and it's not without the help of a loving family. I'm really, really fortunate. I read a lot of stories about former addicts and addiction. And if you don't have the support of a loving family community, like the rates of surviving addiction is really, really low. And I have a really good friend who's a nurse. And at the time 
she knew what I was going through. And it was like a year after being sober. And she's like, do you realize that it's like less than 5% of people ever overcome their addiction? And I, I believe it. I know that that's true. Cause I know how much work it is, but I know I'm, 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 I'm one of the grateful survivors and uh, thrivers that get through that. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you had a really solid support system to push you through those discouraged moments. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And I, I've heard in other interviews that you also experienced a very deep loss in your family with the passing of your brother. And I wanted to reflect on maybe your memories with him and looking back on that relationship, what was something that you learned from him? Wow. So again, part of, you know, having that displaced feeling of family and community I remember when he was born and hanging out with him for probably, I think they moved back to our, or they lived in Toronto. So I got to spend a lot of time with him from when he was a baby until he was like, I think about nine, but he could have been younger. I'm not sure. Um, when he was little, he was super funny and he's always been funny. He was really, really funny. So like my best memories with my brother BJ are his sense of humor um, as his obvious coping mechanism through massive pain. Like that's what I realize now. Um, but, uh, he did a great job of making other people laugh. And so I will certainly remember that forever. And he was so helpful, um, in helping me, like I'm going through this healing and then he's clearly struggling and, in in trying to heal at the same time but he was so helpful when I would ask him so many questions about um this business and what do you think our community and people what do you think they feel about this and and um you know just sharing the and bouncing all these ideas off of him and you know it was only within a matter of oh my I told him about this in October of 2015 and then in the first time, and then in May of 2016, and then he, um, he died in September of 2016. So it was for like, literally just less than a year of sharing this, but he was like, it's critical how much information he shared and how much I learned from him because he is traditional. And he grew up in our community and he um, lived an indigenous life. And so I got to, you know, learn so much, learn so much from him. And there's so many great memories um, that I have. And I try to like mask, obviously, the sad ones of the loss with the great memories. And it's literally like, I cannot wait um, to when I see him again to tell him like, it's, you know, his words of saying, Jen, our kids need hope and they need help that kept pushing me. Cause there's so many times when I did not want to keep going and doing this. Cause it's really hard. Um, especially, you know, there's different types of businesses. And I think when you're in a product based business where you're actually on the path of doing the manufacturing plan and creating formulations, and then you're also like the creator of the design and then of you know, all of the sort of everything that goes into these, these lipsticks, we're, we're working on that every single step of the way. And it is really, really challenging. Um, And it's not easy, but I'm grateful that I have this 
painful, constant companion, um, which is my brother BJ's words to help me keep fighting for this mission and vision we have of helping every indigenous kid on the planet see and feel that their enormous value in the world and bringing it back to what you asked. It was because we just want kids to feel like they matter, like they belong, that representation that they felt seen and, and we're creating a platform where they can feel heard and feel comfortable and safe. Um, and, you know, we are just lipsticks at the end of the day, but we do have much, much bigger purpose underneath all of that. And um, it's thanks to, to my brother BJ that I don't give up. <laughs> That's really special that there was that opportunity for him to make his mark on, on cheekbone beauty. And it sounds like he continues to influence um, the business and, and yourself. So that's really special. And, you know, I was thinking back to your journey to reclaiming your culture and that healing journey. And I realized that December is this year is actually the fifth anniversary of the truth and reconciliation commission. I've heard um, previously that that report really meant something to you. And what was that impact? Yeah, it was the first time I actually made this connection. Sometimes I feel like I must be really dense, I, but I wasn't paying attention. And so I think everyone can attest to this, that in your life when, um, I don't know, I have kids. So the moment I was pregnant, I noticed everyone who's pregnant, you know, you, 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 you do something and that you can relate to, then you're seeing it all around you. Um, and so I was immersed in all of 2015 in these so many different books, like um, The Inconvenient Indian being one of them. Um, and uh, I'm like, what else did I read that year? There was so many. Um, but at the end, then getting through this final report, which it was really long, but helped me understand what my grandmother went through because she didn't personally share those stories with me. I didn't even have a very strong relationship with her. I remember meeting her only a few times in my life um, and not really knowing who this real Emily Paul was and, and not understanding um, she was the way she was because of a lifetime of an experience that impacted her life in such great ways and really negatively and not in a positive sense. But I do turn that around because um, I think it's incredible, absolutely incredible how when I go visit my family, I'm the only one speaking English. They all speak Anishinaabe Moen. Why? Because my grandmother uh, was this fierce woman who made sure all of her children spoke Anishinaabe Moen even though when she was at residential school, she would be physically punished for speaking her language. And I just picture her being like, you know, how you can recite things in your mind and remember, I picture her just doing that constantly to, to not lose the language, right? Um, and that, I mean, that's a picture I'm making up clearly in my mind. I, I want to make that, that I, I, that I don't know that that's how that happened, but um, I picture that just because it's incredible to me that my entire family speaks this language that um, was, was essentially tried, um, you know, the, the systems tried to remove it completely, but it's not, it's, it's still here. And there's a lot of Anishinaabe Moan speakers and there's so many indigenous languages. And unfortunately I know some of them have disappeared uh, because 
um, there has to be language keepers, knowledge keepers that carry those things on. And then unfortunately for everyone, there isn't. And it's one of the reasons as a brand, you'll notice that we try to incorporate some of these lessons about language into just even our social media posts. Right. You have like a weekly post, right? With a, a word of the week. Yeah, it's our, our one of our new team members, Madeline, she came up with that idea. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Um, because it's just our simple way. And she there's a lot of research that goes into the work that she does there. It's not like she's just finding a word, popping it up. She's really doing a ton of research to make sure that everything is correct when, when she's making those posts. Um, and that we have uh, all of the right information. So it's a ton of work. And I feel like it's really, really important. I want, you know, our Indigenous community, many of us don't know those words either. But then I also want um, our non-Indigenous community to learn how to say some of our words. Like you, when we live on this land, these people were here long before many of us were. These And these languages were here long before many of us weren't. So what, what a wonderful way to honor um, a culture. Yeah, that's amazing. And the story of your grandmother is really amazing because it really took a lot of strength to hold on to her language and to feel that the right thing was to do was to continue teaching her family that language because there was just so much effort to, I mean, completely erase it, right? No, that's pretty, um, pretty amazing. And I, and I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really, really honor that that happened for my family because I've met so many other uh, Native families where nobody speaks the language. And part of the shame that I felt growing up was unfortunately passed on to that older generation. So my father's generation in so many of the friends that I've met where their parents didn't want to speak the language because they were trying to blend in or assimilate into whatever city town that they lived in and didn't want anyone to know that they were a native person. So um, I think it's really, really cool that my grandmother spoke and kept speaking it to her children for their whole lives. And they speak it to, to their children and their grandchildren. For your community and for your family, how would you like other communities to show up? to uplift and support that healing. Do you have any ideas on maybe what your community needs to continue that journey? Um, yeah, so I get asked this a lot, but I, my, my answer is always the same. It's just learn more about the where you live in, in Canada, the United States, because um, the, there was people here long before um, settlers came. There was people here long before Christopher Columbus came here or any other, I think in Canada, what did we have John Cabot or Caboto really? Cause he was Italian, I believe. Um, and uh, so there was people living here long before any of those explorers came and uh, lived on this land long, long time before that. So there's a great rich history. It's a beautiful continent. We know that um, the soils and, and the waterways, like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm enamored by the Great Lakes when I think about it, because truly around the world, there's no lakes that size. There's maybe one other big freshwater lake, um, but it's really a beautiful, like, you know, you look at the map of North America and why 
in you know you hear indigenous people call it turtle island and you zoom out and you're like oh yeah it does look like a turtle and that's the heart of the turtle is the great lakes and yeah it's just i mean i know those are uh part of our stories but it also um is part of why the indigenous people have just this, this beautiful relationship with land because it's truly another real relationship in their life myself included you know i have practice i i am out in nature every single morning before i start my day i spend hours outside and uh it's um it's beautiful when you pay attention so i encourage just pay attention to the bird like it's amazing to watch them they never have to worry about anything their breakfast is there waiting right and they're eating away in the mornings like no i could go on for hours because i'm obsessed with being outside and just watching so many beautiful things from creation and how perfect it literally is the most perfect system nothing is wasted there's no garbage dumps right everything in nature perfectly recycles itself the way the water cycle was designed the way everything falls to the ground and composts and makes rich like nitrate nutrients for our soils and um we as humans just have messed that all up <laughs> um and so anyway i'm just like ask people to you know pay attention to those things because that's where the real beauty in life lies yeah when you speak about the lakes there's something just the feeling of looking at a lake or a waterfall it just brings this serenity to the moment and now i wanted to kind of fast forward and delve into 2015 2016 you had a dream a literal dream about creating this brand can you tell me a little bit about the I guess the circumstances that you were in at the time and why that dream really signified something for you. Yeah. So I don't dream much that I remember, you know, how some people you have friends, friends and they're like remembering all their dreams. I'm like that never happens to me. But a few times in my life, when I was seven, I had a terrifying nightmare about this rope man. And I still remember it to this day. And that is one dream. And this dream in 2015, after years of abusing alcohol, I was sober for like literally two months. It was like November, I got sober, January, I had this dream. And to give you the surrounding context, which is really, really important, I had been looking for a long time, not happy with my work life. Um, I was in sales and marketing in the food industry for a feels like forever, but it was like 15 plus years in hospitality, 10 plus years. So that's 25 years in an industry. Um, and I was just getting tired of the, the, I guess the, the systems of the way they were set up and I wasn't interested in rebuilding anything over there. So, um, I was always looking kind of like, what could I do? Right. Or is there another opportunity for me? Um, and you know, started um, just thinking on the regular or started reading more books maybe too about what is an entrepreneur? Because somebody said to me, why don't you start your own business? And I'm like, well, what kind of business? And so I don't know what any of that really meant. I just started paying attention, I guess, to the word entrepreneur and started reading some books and listening to podcasts at that time. And um, then I had this dream where was literally like the most vivid part is these native little girls laughing and they're covered in lip gloss and wake up from that dream. And I was just like, it was like crystal clear. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do that. I'm going to like figure out how to make this lip gloss, start this foundation that I want to honor my grandmother 
it was this residential school survivor and do something like lovely like that for my family. Um, and it all sounded so simple and so easy, right? When you wake up and, and, and I started typing the plan, what I, in, you know, I now is still part of our business plan to this day. It's always like kind of that living, moving, breathing document, um, but not even knowing that that was like a business plan. And um, yeah, that was like the beginning of literally where we are today. The foundation of my grandmother's name, you know, that's, that will be, that's, always on our journey. It's waiting and ready for when we're able and ready and capable of doing that. What we did find was that we could support already existing not-for-profits uh, with donations. And so that's the path that we chose. The first organization that we work with and still do to this day is called the First Nation Child and Family Caring Society. And we've always said, we're going to give them 10% of our profit. I think it's just over $8,000 from the beginning. And then in total, we have now, because we're really great at um, being able to donate product. Um, and so for many youth, women, uh, indigenous organizations around North America, we've donated over $80,000 in products. And we've planted 2,100 trees with one tree planted and with dig deep we with our give box project we were able to get clean water and solar to a family on the navajo reservation this past spring so really proud that we do our very very best and we only specifically support and donate products to things that are based within indigenous communities and then we love the idea that there's so many amazing organizations you can support in so many different ways so we're just a small business trying to do these incredible things but I love that we've built a brand and a business around this concept of like streams of giving that's what we call it versus streams of revenue so never really obviously you have to think of how your business is going to make money but we really do focus on those streams of giving um, and we really are, are proud of the work that our team has done to put all of those plans in place to um, support all of these other amazing organizations. That's amazing. That's really amazing to see how much of an impact cheekbone can have in, I mean, relatively short period of time. Thanks for listening to See the Change podcast. This has been a Sea Change Initiative production, written, edited, and produced by myself, Tanya Ayala, music by Charles the Emperor. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Sea Change Initiative, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For more information about our guest, check the show notes for more links and resources. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.